It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. We've got blogs. Well, that's it. Got the map of the week. Adventures in art. Le Chadron Comatique. Oui, oui. It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater RPG Show. Welcome to the Thought Eater Thought Pass. Froth, welcome back, man. It's Angus from Kirby's Kids Podcast. Want to thank you, thank you, thank you for coming back in 2021. All is good with the universe once again, and appointment listening for Wednesdays is back on track. Hey, man, catching up on the podcast, I backed the Twilight 2000 Free League Kickstarter. I am as excited as you about that one. Really looking forward to receiving that and playing Twilight 2000 again. I was one of those 80s kids, and man, I spent countless hours around the table on that one. Hey, wanted to give your listeners a heads up that on Kirby's Kids, we'll be entering into Appendix End Month here in March, and we'll be doing Barbarian Life, a literary biography of Conan the Barbarian, which that was done by Roy Thomas, and then reading the original uh, Marvel years of The Coming of Conan. So wanted to make you aware of that one. And also, this month, we'll be reading The Meta Barons. It's Digital Omnibus here in February. And I know, Froth, you're a big Dune guy, and The Meta Barons was done by Yodorovsky, who originally had the rights to do the Dune film. As a matter of fact, there's a great documentary called Yodorovsky's Dune that's out there that chronicles him trying to make this film and just the gonzo nature with which he was going about it. Well, he finally turned that whole vision there that he was trying to create in the film that never got made into this graphic novel series called The Meta Barons. And we're reading that here in February over on Kirby's Kids. Froth, welcome back, man, and thank you, thank you, thank you for all of the goodness that you bring every Wednesday. Well, what is up, everybody? It is Froth here. Time has flown by. We are back to a Wednesday. That means it is time for another Hump Day RPG show. Thrilled to hear from Angus there from the Kirby's Kids podcast, bringing us in. If you cannot guess from the title and the subject matter that Angus was talking about, it is a podcast focused on comics, which I know for many of us, definitely for me growing up, it was kind of like one of the other sides of the coin from the kind of stuff we were into. In fact, sometimes it was the whole coin when we played Marvel superheroes, but I have fond memories in the room we used to game in which was my friend's room that he had kind of inherited from his brother when his brother had moved out. Much in the same way that we inherited the D&D books from the same brother, who incidentally has gone on to do a lot of things, created the TV show Eureka, worked on the new Hellboy, and uh, still loves the gaming. But anyway, we always had comics laying around the room. And my favorite in those days was Punisher. It's not my favorite, My, you know, when you start talking about graphic novels, uh, and it wouldn't even be my favorite today, but I liked it then. But then, uh, Dark Knight, I guess was it Dark Knight Returns? That was a great, 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 great graphic novel. And now I've got a couple that I really love, From Hell, which is like a Jack the Ripper thing. If you've never read that, it's unbelievable. 
and Baker Street, which is like a Sherlock Holmes, but with punk girls in the 80s. Anyway, I'm getting a little bit off topic, but Angus got me thinking about the comics. Yes, I have seen that Dune documentary, and I loved it, and you got me thinking back about it. And there were a lot of cool things from that. If, if people haven't seen it, you know, they wanted Pink, Pink Floyd to do the soundtrack. There's all kinds of concept art that's unbelievable. Uh, and a lot of people talk about the uh, the attempting the attempted casting of Salvador Dali, but for me... The most inspired piece out of all of it, the entire documentary, was casting Mick Jagger as Fade Rautha. And this was circa, you know, Sympathy for the Devil era Stones when they were a dangerous band. Mick Jagger as Fade Rautha. Then that got me thinking about just the, how, how of all the casting for Dune, Fade is the one that really you got to get it right. Because you had just maybe Mick Jagger and then, of course, Sting. And I don't know how anybody, you know, people might hate on David Lynch's Dune, but let's face it, Sting was born to play Fade. And so now with the new one, the Dennis Villanueva, we, is it even possible to keep a secret this good in Hollywood in this day and age with the Internet to not know who's playing Fade? At least last time I looked, it had not been announced. And, uh, of course, the movie's been delayed. But you heard all the cool stuff that Angus has got going on over there. So if you are a comic fan, as I know many of the listeners have got to be, check that out, doing the Meta Baron stuff, the Conan stuff. That sounds awesome. Thanks for the kind words as well, Angus. I really do appreciate it. Oh, boy, do I have a show for you all today. We've got a jam-packed show. I have got, let's see, oh boy, I'm scrolling down through it. It's a lot. It's a lot. As usual on the Hump Day RPG show, we are talking primarily about the DIY scene. So we're getting into cool blog stuff, zines, obviously with Zine Quest 3 going, we're going to talk a lot about that, free stuff, reviews, and an interview this week. I have an awesome interview with DM Wilson and Sarah Brunt who are working on this planar compass scene. It's for old school essentials. So basically any old school D&D will work with it. It's actually issue number two. They did the first one last year. It's one of the, you know, runaway successes of this year's zine quest. And if you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's just got a few days left. So um, I really enjoyed talking with them. I think y'all will enjoy the conversation too. They are in a gaming group together, and it sounds like the kind of group I'd like to be in. It sounds like a lot of fun, so I'm looking forward to that. But first, I've got a few messages. Now, I had to make an executive decision. On 5-Minute Friday, I was talking about this, this new D&D streaming show and kind of some controversy uh, surrounding, believe it or not, the size of a Mupp- the Muppets boobs. The show is done like a lot of streaming shows, group playing around the table, but then it cuts away to scenes with the the characters as Muppets. And so there was a bit of controversy about it until it was revealed um, that it was actually a, a woman playing the role and she wanted the boobs that big. And anyway, you can go back to 5-Minute Friday if you want to listen to it. But I had to make an executive decision. 
So I did get a number of you know, a number of calls about it, but I did not want to start the show with you know 20 minutes solid on Muppet Vibs. I I tend to play just about every message I get. None of them were vulgar or anything like that. That's not the reason. It's just, do I want to do 20 minutes on Muppet Boobs? And the answer is no, I do not. Uh, but instead, I've got a bunch of messages on last week's final topic. Now, if you didn't listen to last week's show, you can go back and check out the final topic. But I'm talking about a lot of the changes that Wizards is making to the way it presents race, lineage, ancestry, however you want to term it, uh, in D&D. And I wanted to look at it not so much from a philosophical standpoint, as I agree with all that stuff. I wanted to look at it from a mechanical standpoint and like, are the mechanics good? And I felt that they are. If you're not aware of what's going on, they are kind of decoupling some bits that were associated with race and ancestry, such as ability scores, alignment, and tool proficiencies. They're kind of decoupling that and leaving that up to players while keeping the stuff that is kind of specific to a lineage or race, uh, like magical abilities, ability to fly, uh, like a shell, like for the turtle, right? All that stuff is still there. So anyway, I got a number of interesting calls and you're going to, I'm, I'm just going to put them all together uh, rather than breaking them up so that y'all can get uh, a sampling of what people had to say. You're going to hear from Joe Richter from the Hindsightless and Wheeler Woe podcast. You're going to hear from Jason from the Nerds RPG, RPG Variety Cast. And Jason has forgotten more about RPGs than Froth may ever know. Nerds RPG Variety Cast. You're going to hear from Rob C. from Down in a Heap, one of the only podcasts I can stand to listen to, Down in a Heap. And then you're going to hear from Jim Kang. So we're going to, I'm going to play these in that order. So here we go. Yo, Froth, loving the show, dude. Uh, I just got to say, you have definitely given me the most content that I've actually used in-game out of all the other podcasts I listen to. Uh, so thank you for that. <clears throat> also, I was wondering when you were talking about how in the that article it talked about in OD&D, the party size is between whatever it was, 4 and 50. I, I'm wondering if they mean like in a whole big room, because I heard a story from a dude named Jim Murphy, who's awesome. He's on YouTube. He used to play back in the day, and he would talk about how there would just be a bunch of different tables set up, and everyone would be gaming, and the games would sort of be intertwined but not totally and you know maybe that could get up to 50 i don't know because 50 running one dm for 50 people no way peace out hey me again uh yeah so in regards to your last topic man it makes me laugh that so many people are making such a big deal that dnd is even thinking about doing this because pathfinder did this in second edition that came out last year two years ago or whenever uh, that's exactly how it works in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. So it's just, it's so funny that everyone's like, no, no, no. It's like, dudes, they're already doing it. It's already done. Like, it's going to happen. And just most of the people bitching about it also don't play 5th Edition. So, like, shut the hell up. <laughs> Who gives a shit what you guys think? You don't even play anyway. Yeah, I don't get why folks are making a big fuss about it, man. It seems silly to me. Anyway... 
what you do does not seem silly. It's awesome. Keep it up. You rock. Take it easy. And I'll talk to you later. Peace out. Hey, Froth. This is Jason. This is a little backwards. I already called you about Five Minute Friday. Puppet boobs. But I finally finished listening to the Hump Day show. So I'm going to call you about that. Realistically, I've probably already given you plenty of controversy for your episode. So you may want to not play this one, which is cool. So reference trending topic. I have zero issues with the changes they're making for 5e with, you know, races. Race has always been a horrible term, an inaccurate term for different species, for different life forms. So it's it's silly to call them race because it's not even an accurate term. So I am fine with all those changes in 5e because, you know what, you can it's your game. You can play it however you want. You don't have to play it the way Wizard says. God help anybody that tries to make me play my game my way. When the Wizards please kick my door down, it won't go well. But that's not going to happen, so it's irrelevant. And like you say, these new rules are set up to make people more comfortable. They allow more choice. There's no issue with them. Because if you don't want to use them, you don't have to. So the people whining about it, it's like people whining about movies and TV. If you don't like the show, don't watch it. It's not hurting you. There are people right now, I saw a news story about complaining about Greece. That Greece was, how horrible the movie Greece is. And Olivia Newton-John was defending it. You know what, it's a 50-year-old movie. Worry about stuff today. Greece isn't hurting anybody. But back to D&D. I do have some issues with the the way the warnings are, the all the labels they put on the 1E products, the older products. The way they worded that and the, um, the, the subtle... You, you know, connotations that go with that wording of their, the, the label they put on there. I have problems with that. But I don't have a problem with, with a content warning in general. But, and here's where we get in the controversy part, because up to now I've agreed with you. I think the new changes are good to go. I think they should stop using the term race. And I have zero issue with putting warning labels, content labels on the older products as long as it's not worded to insult the previous creators, which the current ones do. But neither here nor there. Let's talk about where you and I disagree. While many people do do house rules for the the um, class limitation, level limitations, and some of the other limitations in the older editions, they're there for a reason, and, and they're thought out. And the problem is, and while I agree with you on the new editions, the problem with your argument is that you're turning all these other races into humans. You're turning them into Star Trek aliens. You're turning them into dwarves into short, hairy humans and elves into sleek, you know, thinner, slender, pointy-eared humans. Because you're treating them like humans and you're, you're assuming these other races are as adaptable as humans. And you're assuming these other races are just like humans. They just have wings or whatever. And, and that's not necessarily true. It may be in your world in your game world, and that's totally fine. Nothing wrong with that. But the way they were envisioned, they were not just different shaped humans. So while if a gaming group wants to treat elves as slender, pointy-eared humans that are as adaptable as humans and like humans in all their ways, I'm down with that. That's your group. There's no bad, wrong way to play. That's totally cool. But it's not the way they're envisioned. It's like dwarves. You look at Tolkien dwarves. They were literally came out of stone. They're, they're not humans. They shouldn't be treated like humans. They don't have the same drives and loves and 
desires, the same... They're not humans. <laughs> you know, it, it's what it is. So it's same with orcs, especially look at Tolkien orcs. They're not humans. They're not all going to be good because of the way that, that world was built. It's what it is. That doesn't mean your world has to be that way. But to say that they should be adaptable and they should be able to do all these things because humans can misses the point because these things aren't humans. They're other things. They're other species. They're other life forms. So, so really all I'm calling to defend is the older games. The older games weren't just shoddily put together. There was thought behind them. Demi-humans originally were set up if you rolled bad stats, you would slide into a demi-human to help offset your bad stats. Ray Otis pointed out an article Gygax wrote about that back in the day. The level limits were there for reasons. And, you know, Daniel over at Bandit's Keep has talked about this in his episode about elves a little bit. And there's a new podcast out there called the... Um, eh, I'm going to mess up because I don't have it in front of me. Bad Jason. There's a new com- podcast out there called the something as I crashed my car. The Arcane Alienist, where when he discusses his world, talks about elves and how they came from the other world, the Fey world, and why, you know, elves would progress slower or this or that. And I think all those are valid for their worlds. So ultimately, I don't think you and I are that far apart, but I think if we want to play the game as written, as envisioned, and these races as they're races, listen to me, I'm using it. And these life forms like elves and dwarves using as they were envisioned in in the folk tales and in the source material, I don't think it's fair to look at them as humans. Now, does that mean your game has to treat them that, that way? Heck no. Does that mean 5e is wrong? Heck no. I got zero issue with the new rules. I got zero issue with people playing elves as slender pointy-eared humans. I really don't. I, I think that's fine. What you do at your table with your group is 100% good for you, and there's not nothing bad with it. But I, I think it's unfair to slander the original game and the original expectations of designers be, because of Im, trying to import, make them all humans and import feelings and sensitivity into it. Hey, Froth, just calling you about the t- final topic you had on your last Wednesday show. I don't really cast a very wide net for social media and all that. Uh, so I, I don't know, I haven't really heard an uproar about this, but that doesn't mean there isn't one. I just, it's probably a really big minority. Anyway, to me, the game is in the hands of Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro. They can do with it, with it what they will. And they're probably going to be doing what they think is best for sales. So, yeah, this probably appeals, these changes appeal to more gamers. But I kind of think of it in the whole structure of the game where class and species and level, it's all these archetypes. And you have archetypal classes, you have archetypal species. And all those things have been kind of melded and watered down together more and more as the additions have progressed. So now you have classes that can step in through the skill system and whatnot to to be able to do the things that used to be a very narrow focus for another class, case in point, are thief-like skills. Everyone can do that in 5e now. Spells. Almost every uh, class has a casting option now in 5e. And every race can be every class with no level limits. So 
to me, it just follows along this path that they're taking. So now they're just going to make all the races kind of mechanically the same or have the same range of options within them. And that, you know, hey, I don't really care. That's fine. If people want to play it that way, I think everyone should just choose what's best for their the game at their table. But it's funny because I have the exact opposite reaction. To me, the game feels a lot more samey now than it used to because now every class has very similar options available to them. They don't feel as distinct to me. And if the races become much less distinct, I think you add to that kind of sameness. Um, you ask why, what the benefit is. Um, to me, if you have things like level limits and class limits and specific features of a species, it actually makes it feel like a different species. It's not just a human with human-like attitudes. Um, and philosophically, I don't know, I've always been able to compartmentalize those things. It, it's, it's a game. It's, uh, I don't really make real-life equivalencies, uh, just like I don't really watch a horror movie and get traumatized by it because I know it's a movie. I don't know. See? All right, I'll channel Columbo here. Just one more thing. A lot of this in the past was done to balance things out to make humans give humans something because the demi-human humans all had dark vision and other special abilities and stuff. And if you give humans the ability to be any class and to rise to unlimited levels, that was their quote-unquote benefit. But um, so, and, and really, I mean, the way we played level limits never came into play anyway because we all died or the campaign ended before anyone even approached those limits. But that's, you know, neither here nor not there. It might be better, I think, for the, I don't know, just drop the whole human <laughs> option from the game if you're going to go that down this route. But uh, because if the humans are there, that's what people are, like, struggling to, like, compare other species to or whatever. So, I don't know, maybe just get rid of humans. Just spitball and see ya. All right, this will really be the last one, and don't feel obligated to play these things because I've been way too long-winded, but it's curious to me that some physical realities are still acknowledged. You cite the example of Eric Hoker's being able to fly because they have wings, or maybe, I mean, shouldn't halflings then, if you're three feet tall and 60 pounds, shouldn't your strength somehow be limited? I mean, you're basically like an eight-year-old human kid or whatever in size, and you're, could you really be able to carry as much as a larger creature? I don't know. I and dark vision that's a phys physical thing, right? Your your actual eye structure maybe it's magical. I don't know. But if you're having these differentiations for some capabilities, why not other thing? I don't know. I'm just I'm just kind of puzzled by the whole thing, I guess. It's not a big deal like I said, but it wasn't even in the old editions because it was just minus 1 or plus 1 on the stats, so no big deal. Hey, it's Jim. Uh, thanks for keeping me informed. I had no idea that Wizards was attempting to get rid of the concept of deterministically evil races in D&D. It's uh, actually a lot more than I expected. I don't know how far they'll get, but I thought of the perfect person to lead this effort. And that's Terry Pratchett. Well, he would be perfect if he wasn't dead. But putting that aside, I remember an interview where he had this criticism of Tolkien. Uh, that's his favorite author, actually. And what he said was that in those books, if you're born in a certain place, your life is already determined. An orc will never change, no matter what happens to him, and 
become a hero. And Pratchett, of course, wrote many books from the perspective of witches, trolls, vampires, and even golems. Uh, they were in really interesting, and in, in a word, they were imaginative, and that's the kind of thing that I think is interesting to play. All right, so that was a lot. I know that was a lot, but I would like people to call in. If you ever want to call into the show, it's anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. You can leave a message and be part of the show. And I want people to feel comfortable sharing their opinions, even about topics that are sometimes uh, viewed as, you know, controversial, you know, because we might not all agree on every little bit of it. But as long as we come with a, you know, respect of, you know, respectful kind of tone and, and everything, we can listen to each other, even if we don't agree with everything that each other says, right? Hopefully we're all still there. Um, so just to make a couple of comments, cause there's a lot of stuff there. Um, and I really appreciate all y'all calling in, you know, one of the things that keeps coming up that I heard keep coming up is about, you know, making your game your own, you know, if it's your game, you make your game your own. And that we've had some previous conversations about this lately with rule zero and everything else. Well, I would argue that it's better, you know, since we all agree play the game you want and make the game your own. That's really what these rules are doing. You know, it's just, instead of it being one sentence in the book saying, Oh, by the way, you can ignore the rules. You know, a lot of people aren't comfortable with that. We talked a little bit about how, you know, the era of house ruling, you know, the further you get from, from OD and D with lots of, uh, as, uh, I think Ray Otis referred to it as lots of white space, lots of room to improvise and everything. The more and more codify the rules have gotten, you know, you're, you're, you still see some people make up their own rules. Granted, the DMs Guild is full of it, but it's just, it's not as common. And I saw someone actually post, they said something like, you know, because some of these rules first started appearing in like the Tasha's Guide to Everything supplement. And they said, you know, it doesn't need to be an optional rule to negotiate with your GM and the Tasha's Guide. It needs to be, you know, the main way it's presented. And so, if the real spirit is run the game you want to run, this I think is a better way to, to show it because, you know, and a lot of the arguments that we're talking about goes back to some comments I made about classic D and D and some of the limits that were associated with the different races in classic D and D. And I made some comments about, how it makes for what I would refer to as kind of some cookie cutter classes, because it gives you the illusion of choice, uh, making some races, species, ancestries, lineages being suited to specific classes or only being allowed to take specific classes. So it's not like you had a choice in some cases, this is what you're going to get to play. Or if you did play it, something that didn't match or whatever match the lore then you are stuck you know at, at a level you max out at a, at a level and you can't uh, advance in the class so you know those are some things that while that's always been the way it's been done and everything and i know that that's what was done for balance those are things that i just don't think it was the best design is it balanced around that yes but I think I personally prefer not only uh, the philosophical reasons behind this, you know, 
that Jim kind of got into, you know, all orcs uh, not being evil. Uh, I think the vampires is a, is a really good example too. There's so much, so many vampire stories and things out there, um, you know, but anyway, the other thing I really wanted to comment on is the idea that it's making everything into humans because I have to just personally disagree with that a little bit. I think what this is doing instead is it's focusing on the things about lineage and ancestry that are interesting and not so much the parts that aren't. And so here's what I mean by that. Like the era, you know, and part of it too is for those of us that grew up playing D&D and have grown up with this, we're so used to it that we have, you know, archetypal ideas about what the different ancestries and lineages are that aren't there for the stuff in fifth edition. And I tried to make that point last week. I don't know how successful I was at it, but there are certain kind of types of uh, characters you can play like a shifter or tabaxi or a tortle. When I say those things to you, if you're not super familiar with 5e, or even if you play a lot of 5e, you still might not even be able to tell me what the ability bonuses are. There's no baggage to it. Whereas with some of this older stuff, there are these assumptions. And I, I tried to phrase that in a way that I was hoping to show that it's not as meaningful as we might ascribe to it as far as the ability scores go. Because like for the Aarakocra, for example, the interesting thing about the Aarakocra is it's a bird, it can fly. We don't care, is it a wise old bird? Or is a bird terrible at reading the room? That's not the interesting part about it. Uh, the turtle, it's like a turtle, right? The interesting part is the shell, you know, that it can hold its breath for a long time, that it's a turtle. It's not so much, is it a smooth talking turtle, right? You know, I mean, those are things you can choose. Uh, is it a really smart turtle? Is it a really uh, strong turtle? You know, those are, when you look when you're looking at it as a turtle in 5e i think there's a different perspective than when you're thinking about old classic dwarf right because it's just tied to to uh, not only our experiences but to tolkien to to movies and to traditional presentations of it whereas with the newer stuff none of that's there the interesting stuff is what's still going to be tied to ancestry in 5e um you know, like, and even more so with the, um, with the alignment and the tool proficiencies, like with a shifter, like the cool thing about shifter is it's like the, is the lycanthropy. It's not, doesn't matter. Is my shifter, you know, a great fiddler or is my shifter good at cards or is my shifter, uh, great at driving a boat? I mean, those are, those are things that are left to the player. Right. So I, I don't feel like it's making everything human. I think it's just giving more variety within the species, the ancestry and everything else. But, you know, people are, are going to have their own different ways to look at it. I will say that a lot of people coming into 5e have never played before. Just like I was talking about, the data shows that the average player new to tabletop RPGs, never played before, just starting now is about 25 years old. You're in your twenties. So you think of it like 
you know, a 25 year old coming to it now, not having the old experiences, baggage, lore, whatever, for decades and decades. And what they see when they look at it is, huh, okay, we got the white elf, slender, graceful, a little bit magical, fantastical cities. And then, oh, okay, oh, wait, here's a black elf. Oh, oh, it's evil. And, um, Oh, it says here it loves spiders. Yeah, it, it worships a spy. Yeah, and it it lives in the in the hell pit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you got it. uh, it's important to see it from different perspectives. Uh, and so I think that D and D is a big tent game. It's got to be. It's got to be. Um, and and so I, I think philosophically, I like these changes. And then, you know, I, I like them mechanically, too. I mean, this could, discussion could go on and on. We're already, you know, 30 minutes into the program. But, you know, I think one of the greatest things they did with third edition was deciding in no level limits, no uh, class limits. You know, you, you can you can play any class. And and to, to balance that, they gave the human something, Right. They gave the humans the ability to move the ability scores, but also a free feat, which in 5e, with that option, is very, very powerful. And uh, extra skills and that kind of thing, which are, can still reflect the versatility of humans, right? And so even with these changes to 5e uh, with the ability score variety, you know, you're still going to have the versatility shown through picking feats, picking additional skills and everything to where I, I do think humans will still have a distinction. I mean, humans will still be distinctive, even if my turtle is smart, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but uh, anyway, good discussion. It's good to have different points of view on everything and it's good to respectfully talk about them. So, so anyway, like I say, if people like to call in on the show, I think it makes the show better to have some discussions. And uh, so that's anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. Last thing I'll mention before we get started, all of the links I'm going to talk about on today's show, I've got them up in order over at the Thought Eater blog. Just Google Thought Eater blog or go to frothsofdnd.blogspot.com. So you'll have all these links in order. Um, oh, and the other last thing. Still continuing the froth drive on the Patreon. Everything fell apart. If you couldn't guess by Angus's message and you're a new listener, took a hiatus due to the whole COVID thing, have recently staged a comeback, trying to rebuild some support on the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash thought eater. For as low as a dollar a month, you can support the program, less than four cents a day. So if you like what I'm doing, patreon.com forward slash thought eater couple last things that you'll see under the intro tab. I've got links to the Kirby's Kids podcast. Then I've got a link over to uh, a new blogger I saw, the Coffee Gremlins Grotto. Coffee Gremlins Grotto. They're trying to make me mess up, aren't they? CoffeeGremlinsGrotto.blogspot.com. This is a brand new blog. And let's see, we got a random table here. We're going to get a bonus random table roll. All right. Well, I have had to make some adjustments having a short in my microphone. Now switching over to record this on Discord. Here is hoping it works out for me. 
otherwise it's going to be a long night. But anyway, I, uh, I think I left off talking about the Coffee Gremlins Grotto. Welcome them, them to the blogosphere. Let's take a roll on their first post, D12 Druidic Oddities. And number three, a druidic oddity. If you stay outdoors in one place for too long, your body starts to take root into the ground. After sleeping outside, you'll have to shed the small roots off. D12 Druidic Oddities from the Coffee Gremlin. Welcome to the blogosphere. And then let's say uh, that that's a newbie to the blogosphere. Let's say happy birthday to an old timer. The 10th birthday of the Take on Rules blog. Takeonrules.com, Jeremy Friesen's blog. Happy Born Day, Jeremy Friesen. Maps of the Week. All right, so how cool is this? <clears throat> For today's Maps of the Week section, the whole thing, it's an Evelyn M. takeover. <clears throat> if you listen to my show, I've made no secret about my love of Evelyn Moreau's work. I try to feature it as often as I can, and it just so happens we're able to have a complete and total Evelyn M takeover of the maps of the week. So uh, also some great zine quest stuff to get into. So wanted to start over at Evelyn's blog, Le Chaudron Chromatique. I think you can tell I like the blog because it's featured in my theme song. But anyway, post over there, Tomb of the Butterflies. Now what this is, is Evelyn took one of these maps that Jeff is doing for Jeff's zine quest project called isometric blanks. Now this thing has funded like a hundred times over. What it is, is it's a zine with blank isometric maps that you can draw in. And I've talked about how cool these zines are that allow for solo use. Something you can work on by yourself, like a, a journaling game or a, a, uh, a solo game. And here's something that you can be drawing in, isometric blanks. Now, Evelyn has done a great job filling this out, and what I, I really like about this is that it really shows what you can do with this scene. So if you're someone like me looking at it, you see the blanks, and your mind is blank, well, this is almost like a guide on the kind of creative things that you can do with it. So be sure and go over and check that out. The other cool thing, map-related, that Evelyn's got going on is this calendar, 2021 calendar, featuring all of her doodle maps. These are large maps that she's put together over the last couple of years, um, and they, they're they all combined into a calendar. Now, I know what you're thinking, Froth, it's already February. Look, 10 months of Evelyn's doodle maps is better than 12 months of whatever you got hanging on your wall. So I got a link over to the Gumroad store and some imagery from what you can expect from this. And then I'm not sure how many years it is, 13, somebody could probably tell me. I'm not going to try to Google it given the, given the microphone difficulties, but eventually the dates will match up again and it will still be cool. So check out that doodle map calendar. And then finally, Evelyn has launched along with Camilla Greer, a great looking zine for Kickstarter 3, where the wheat grows tall and old school fairy adventures for low level characters. I tried to be the first one to back this when I saw the email came out, uh, but I think I was, it was going up so fast. I, I It took me a minute to just read what the, the different rewards were. But uh, one day in, it's already basically 
doubled its funding goal and has close to 300 backers with the days and days to go. So this looks great. Lots of great artwork. And uh, Camilla and Evelyn look like a dynamic duo on this. There's an image of them both holding swords, you know, getting ready to rumble. So, so anyway, uh, be sure and check this out. Very excited about this. I hope it's wildly successful. That Evelyn makes a uh, you know makes a lot of money. You get some good recognition from this. It'll be well deserved. Zine Club. All right, so I am thrilled to have joining the podcast today D.M. Wilson and Sarah Eliza Brunt of the currently kickstarting Zine Quest project, Planar Compass Number Two. DM and Sarah, welcome to the club. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. So we're going to get into the project, but I, th I guess the first thing I wanted to tell you all is uh, congratulations, because I'm looking at the latest statistics for you all. You're almost up to $10,000 pledged. Yeah. Uh, 362 backers with, as of this recording, like another week to go. Yeah, thank Looked you. Looked like a runaway success. It's, so, yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, the, the state of shock just never ends. Yeah, I think we're both still um, processing it because <laughs> last year, like, was our first one, so we still feel like we're we're new in a lot of ways. But this yeah, is, we, I think, a testament to the enthusiasm of the indie community. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's no question that, um, you know, many of the zines, you know, f seemingly funded almost immediately, and there's been mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, getting thrown at these zines. So, yeah, the enthusiasm is there. But even amongst the other zines, y'all's just kind of uh, standing out there with the success. So I just wanted to make sure uh, I congratulated y'all. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We, so, we have this perennial conversation that is just every every single time it's like we've been doing this for like a little over a year can you believe yeah like it's just constant shock <laughs> well and you know that zine quest is going nowhere because kickstarter is making money on it so you can kind of uh yeah. be thinking about developing your whole setting there over the years which is kind of cool absolutely yeah it's the cornerstone right now that's for sure well, the first thing I like to ask folks, almost like an icebreaker, is kind of about your zine origin stories. Do you all remember the first zines you were aware of, and were they gaming related or something else? Hmm. Um, when I was growing up, my father was a graphic designer, and uh, he's currently um, a poet uh, who's, I mean, he's retired and, and poetry is what he does now. And when I was young, he was making uh, poetry chapbooks. So, and he still makes poetry chapbooks. For me, I have a difficult time distinguishing what the difference is between a chapbook and a zine. So that's probably my first um, instance with a zine. And then after that, I had a friend uh, bring me back from a uh, West Coast comic book convention, a copy of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men zine in like 2015. So I haven't touched a tabletop role-playing zine until ours was printed. 
Yeah. I think for me, probably would have been like high school, like a, like a, a show or something, but I don't know that I would have known what the term was. I don't, I wouldn't have thought of it. I just was like, Oh, this is like a self printed thing that people give out. I wasn't really aware that it was like a, um, you know, had a history. And then I think the first time I remember hearing the word zine was like my cousin making an art zine, um, which was very cool. And then, you know, I got into like the history of RPGs uh, a few years back and you learned about like the seventies and the Larams and excursions and stuff. And I think in my mind, it was like something that had happened in the past and I wasn't entirely aware that it was ongoing. And then I came across worm skin and it was like, completely mind expanding and then i just from there discovered the this you know just endless forest of amazing work that people are putting out there that like really honestly blows away the big publishing houses in terms of you know creativity and usability it's wild what's out there yeah and i think i think the difference between chat book and zine is uh how refined maybe you want to sound when you're talking about it i'm, I'm not sure <laughs> right it does have kind of a, a lofty connotation to it like this is my chat book this is yeah. my zine is something you definitely pull out of a backpack it's like soccer versus football so um let's talk a little bit about planar compass uh, Y'all just tell me a little bit about it, what, what people can expect, and what's it, what the whole series is all about. Sure. Uh, so Player Compass is an old-school essentials zine. Um, it is a setting with everything that comes with that. Uh, it's meant to be a multiverse setting, um, so in the tradition of Planescape and Spelljammer. Um, and the goal eventually is to work up to kind of covering one or two um, planes per issue. Um, right now, we're kind of setting the groundwork with the, the Astral Sea as being um, the nexus of everything, the place you pass through to get to different planes. So issue one uh, covered Dreamhaven, which is an island in the center of it all. Uh, where everything passes through all the trade and people stop off for supplies. And issue two, uh, which we're kickstarting right now, is going to cover the actual sea itself, um, traveling across it, how that works, and the monsters and other things you might find out there. So I'm interested in how y'all came to the idea to work in the plains and like the astral sea. Is that something that came from y'all's gaming were y'all in a gaming group together or yes yeah, yeah. um so i i was, have been dming a 5e game for uh about three years now that sarah is a player in and uh her character actually makes a cameo as an npc in the first issue uh lamarack and uh so Dreamhaven was uh, a place that they went to in the game and it was something that i really it had like a um a place in my heart i really enjoyed making it and it meant a lot to me um so last february we didn't even know zine quest existed until it launched last february and it was we've been working on a comic book yeah we've been working on a comic book with the setting um but we just couldn't afford an artist or to pay an artist what an artist should be paid um so we've been looking at kind of alternative things to do with the setting and the ideas. And then 
ZineQuest launched and I just saw it like blowing up my Twitter and I was like, hey, why don't we do like a weird zine? And she was like, oh, okay, sure. And then we kind of thought about what we could do and I was like, the only idea I have is Dreamhaven. Um, so why don't we try it? And And it all came from that. Yeah, we had been working on this like comic idea for a while and it was it was it wasn't quite like floundering in the writing because we were just so concerned about wanting to bring an artist on board and be able to pay them because artists should be paid. So there was this moment where we were uh I we went to I went to a session and Dan was like, this, this is, this is, we should be doing this. We should be making a zine. Like we should be making like an old school essential zine, but we should be doing this. And it was like, everything kind of clicked into place. There was a minute there where I thought, I don't know. And then everything really, I was like, oh, this is exactly, this is exactly what we should be doing. This is exactly what we should be doing. We should have been doing this. Why weren't we doing this before? (laughs) Yeah, it's a, it's such a great format because you can pack a lot of art into it, but you don't need to fill every page with art like with a comic book. I'm always really jealous of these folks out there creating RPG stuff that can do it all. You know, there are so many mm-hmm. amazing artists and everything, and I'm still mm-hmm. struggling with stick figures. So, hundred percent. I can't tell you the like absurd wave of jealousy. It's not a zine, but the the absurd. A amount of, of jealousy looking at um that neverland um setting book and seeing how much of it all came from what's his name andrew club like seeing how much of that is a one-man show really made me just like look at my hands and think why why didn't <laughs> i spend so many years crafting my my hands to do this so one cool thing I noticed is that y'all have Goblin's henchmen working on this. I've uh, yeah. I've been interacting with uh, with the henchmen, you know, for years. And one thing I appreciate about them is that they always have very unusual ideas in, in a space where uh, some things are, you know, you've got retro clones, you've got things being recycled. A lot of their ideas are things that I, you know, legitimately not seen before. So how did that Mm -hmm. come to be? Yeah, I think over the summer, as we were wrapping up production of issue one, we're starting to look towards issue two. um, GH had kind of been on my radar. I would see their work um, here, there, the hex flower stuff. And it was really, really interesting to me um just taking probability and and visualizing it um so that it was something that people could play with rather than being something mechanical underneath the the surface was really fascinating to me um so we were talking about we we knew we wanted to do the astral sea and i you know kind of occurred that like his hex flowers and and the appearing to be infinite combinations, even though they're technically not infinite, but just the the number of combinations and the variety they could create would be perfect for something that is supposed to be near infinite. Um, So we reached out to them and they were game and it's been some really exciting stuff. I think it's going to be really cool 
um, that people are going to dig. They're helping us uh, write two sections of the of the book. One is astral navigation and the traveling, and that's based on their work of in the heart of the sea. Um, so we're kind of remixing that and expanding it out to fit into the context of this setting. And then the other one is uh, the dungeon. We've got this living dungeon that's going to hunt you across the astral sea. And uh, I if you saw get- that in the uh, Kickstarter description. I love that idea. It's yeah. like, uh, like the nothing from never ending story or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if it, if it gobbles you up, you're going to end up inside uh, another uh, hex flower generator to kind of navigate this organic uh, labyrinthian creature. Uh, and that's based on the work that they did in carapace and uh, where the rock grub went. Um, so it's going to be cool because you could, you know, if the astral navigation thing doesn't quite, you know, do it for you, um, and you want to do the dungeon, you can take the dungeon and vice versa, but they also work together, um, to enhance each other, which I think is going to be exciting. The artwork looks really strong. Tell me about the artists working on this. We, um, we were looking for an artist for a really long time and, and uh, we had a friend um, whose brother I'd been following, um, Chris Downey. And he made some really, really neat stuff for Inktober in 2017 that I thought was really fascinating. And I was showing it to Dan and Dan was like, this guy, this guy. And I was hesitant you're going to find that in a lot of this, I was hesitant, <laughs> but um, Dan uh, took some of the black and white line art that Chris did and colored it. And like, we started like looking at different things and talking about it. And then we approached him about commissioning. Um, actually, yeah, I commissioned him to do a, a Lamarack portrait um, um, a very long time ago. Yeah. I, yeah, I had him. I had him commission a, a portrait for my uh, player character in the the five E campaign, because um, my my bard just like hands out headshots. He signs them. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I was gonna say I have to hear a little bit about this character Lamarack now. So, yeah, I mean L- Lamarack is just a very fun loving bard who wants to make friends all over the place. So clearly he came from a broken home and he needs to find, um, you know, acceptance and, and, and it's not at all deeply personal or reflective of who I am <laughs> as a person. <laughs> um, so he's a grandstanding, desperate for friendship person. And uh, I, so Chris made this, this portrait. Um, and then I think you commissioned him to do, um, a landscape. Yeah, I had them do uh, some artwork for a city so that when they arrived, I could throw it up on the TV and be like, this is what you see. Um, so we, we, we had been kind of hiring him for little jobs. And then, you know, we were talking about the first issue, which at the time was Dreamhaven. Um, and we paid out of pocket for him to do the cover so that we would have something to show. Um, and then to make it feasible, we had this small stretch goal. I mean, the small goal 
and then four stretch goals to have him do um, art for the issue. The idea being that, you know, by keeping the art outside of the main goal, maybe we could hit one or two because we were still at this point um, very nervous whether we would get any funding at all. We didn't know what to expect. So we thought like, well, if we get two of the stretch goals and half of the art is original and the rest of the public domain is at least he gets a commission and at least it, it's cool. Um, but we, it was a, by our standards at the time, a great success. We got all four of the stretch goals uh, and he killed it. Like, I think one of the biggest things we always hear from people is the artwork from issue one. Um, consistently people talk about it. So obviously he's back and he's going to be lead on issue two. And then Sarah's friend, Mike is joining as well. Uh, yeah. Mike's we picked up a second artist, artist. Yeah. Mike Lake. And he's, he's really great. He does um, really great. Uh, really fantastic. He's an artist in a lot of different capacities. Um, and it like it shows his 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 work has a lot of feel to it and i'm very excited that we brought him on board um but yes you know going back to lamarack the the desperate desire <laughs> to have so many friends and that's how i've been pulling people into this but yeah. you know that's, that's that's what i bring to the table is i've got friends in weird places <laughs> looking searching for friendship on the astral sea that's right. I mean, you're not going to find it with that dungeon, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, uh, I don't know. Maybe. Well, I am thrilled for y'all. It sounds like a cool project. And I'm glad that it has found so much support. And uh, so congrats to both y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So um, we always wrap things up with the questions three. Are y'all ready for mm. the questions three? Yes. Yes. Okay, what makes zines so magical? Um, for me, I think it's the fact that uh, they're accessible um, from a creator standpoint. Like I, anyone who has a desire to create can make a zine um, and they can just print them out on a printer and hand them out. And that I think makes the indie scene so much richer and vibrant and it zine quest helps to bring in so many new people brought us in and it's bringing new people in this year and i think that's really so awesome and i also like the fact that zines can be a little bit raw and more rough and experimental than what people expect out of like a published book um and i think that's good too because it brings in a lot of ideas that people might not have went through the effort to publish otherwise yeah, the accessibility and the creativity. I mean, every zine that I own is a small part of somebody else's brain. And it's really nice to be able to just like stock those on a shelf. So I think the second question is a good one for y'all since your first, you know, big zine was, was from last year. What is something that you've you learned making zines that you wish you had known when you started? people really care what you put on the inside flap and the back flap i didn't think <laughs> about that <laughs> yeah like i i didn't think about that at all like i mean like i i like i said my dad was a graphic designer when i was a kid and so like i there's i have deep respect for layout i just didn't realize that like the we got um 
our initial feedback on some things was was um, like in dribbles and drabs. So it was one of the first things that came back was like, oh, well, you know, you could put a really useful resource table here and you put a gaming license. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, I didn't even, oh, sorry. Yes, uh, white space is the enemy of DIY gaming at this point. So yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. it is apparently. I mean, yeah. th- I mean, we last time we we had a signing thing with some of it, which is super not accomplishable now. Like sending something off to get GH to sign it and then sending it back and then sending it to backers would be unreal with postage. <laughs> but like, that's the only thing that you need white space for now is to sign it. Yeah. I think the thing I learned um, is if you're doing it for the first time, keep it small. Um, we went way too big the first time because we didn't know what we were doing. And we were, we were fortunate that it all worked out. Um, but I would say, like, if this is your first one, um, keep the cost down as much as possible and try and keep the page count down for your own sanity. Uh, I mean, if you want to go big, go big, but it just, I feel like it would be a little bit easier to go smaller. Your Not knowing time. what you're doing is a strength at one point, though. It's true. It's true. Because you don't know what mistakes you're making and you don't know what not to do, which can be good. And you don't, you don't have preconceived notions about like conforming to yeah. other standards. Yeah. Okay. And so finally... And I know you already mentioned worm skin, DM, but do, do y'all have a favorite zine? I think the thing I'm looking forward to right now is Bunker number three. Uh, Bunker was one of the things I f- backed last year for Kickstarter. I'm really happy with the way it turned out. Um, I'm also really excited for the stuff that Zach uh stuff that Zach Wolf is doing from Spellsword. He did Ilmire last year and he's doing Realms of Peril this year. So Yeah, um, one of the is that the uh mothership one? No, Realms of Peril is um a hex crawl system. Um it comes with two zines, one's in a, a player's book and one's a, a game master's book. And then he's doing another Kickstarter in the second half of the month for an adventure to go with it. Okay. Yeah, it seems like I saw them doing multiple things, and I couldn't remember. Yeah, uh, what they were, but yeah, okay. What about you, Sarah? You got one you uh, have your eyes on, or something you really like? Um, I've got my eyes on a couple. I backed a couple. Um, I have been. Um, I'm. I'm not. I wasn't this collector of zines until like this year I decided I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to buy some cause I didn't buy any the first year I had to be um, at one point, like it had to be explained to me that, you know, people like collect these and stuff. I didn't in the market for this, the first year that we did it, I thought, I don't, you know, I'm going to be producing something and I don't know if, if I'm like actually the person that would buy these. And then I realized that there's literally something for everyone. Um, I think that I'm really excited for, um, Filk, Flick, Flick Silverskin's, um, Guide to Dragon Town. That looked really cute. Like, that looked really, Flick Silverpen's Guide to Dragon Town. Yeah. I really, I liked that it had, like, an accessibility, and I am 
in some ways stocking things that I think would be easy to run um, someday for when my kids are older. Um, so I've been um, looking for things that might be a little bit more whimsical and uh, that looked very light dragon whimsy. I think that's something that I could convince my girls would be fun. Yeah, that's cool because my, my daughter is nine. And so involving her in gaming as she's gotten older, I don't know how old your kids are, but, um, you know, we started off with a very little, little. Build. <laughs> yeah, we started off with just a, like a little world building where we weren't rolling any dice. We we're just making up, you know, fantasy lands and stuff, and then kind of gradually mix some rules and, and dice into it. So I think it is important to have those prod, you know, those products that are, you know, like you said, whimsical like that. So that's cool for people to check that out. Well, I guess I just want to thank y'all both for stopping by and joining the zine club. Uh, I'd tell y'all good luck with the project, but obviously you don't need frost luck. It's already a home run. So <laughs> thank you. But thank I you guess, for your time. Thank you. Yeah. I just uh, wish you continued success and uh, we'll uh, be looking forward to zine quest four. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I'm very excited. <laughs> thank you Froth. All right, so that was great to have them on the show. And uh, like I said, it just seems like their table would be fun. You know what I mean? So uh, congrats to them for the great success that they're having. I've got a ton of links up uh, regarding that project. Uh, the Kickstarter page is probably only going to have a few days left by the time you're listening to this. So go and check it out. And then I've got some some links to the artists' work that are working on there, really talented. And then uh, links to the Kickstarter, uh, ZineQuest Kickstarters that they were talking about being interested in. Flick Silverpen's Guide to Dragontown and Realms of Peril. So I've got all those links up. Remember, everything I talk about is in order over at the Thought Eater blog. Appreciate you all bearing with me. It's going to be a little bit of a weird session because I'm not used to uh, recording the way I'm having to do it, but the show must go on, rain, sleet, or snow. Uh, with this much awesome stuff, it's just got to happen. So so anyway, <clears throat> Zine Quest, I'm already in danger. All right. Uh, my goal was, you know, 15 zines or 200 bucks. I know I'm over the 200. Uh, it's just the way it is. And I'm at 13 zines right now. And there's a bunch of stuff I'm following. So I'm, I'm trying. I'm really now it's really crushing me to have to be selective because there's a lot of things that I'd like to support. It's just not possible. Uh, and it's only the you know, I'm recording this on Tuesday. So it's only the ninth. So um, just so much stuff this year. You know, uh, if I could think of a theme for this year so far. There seem to be a, a lot of Mork Borg things, which I'm kind of thankful about because I don't own Mork Borg. It looks amazing. I know it'd be something I'd really like, but I'm thankful that I don't own it because I'd feel like I had to buy these zines because once I like something, I want everything for it. So mercifully, I don't own Mork Borg, but I do own Mothership. <laughs> so... There's lots of mothership zines, and uh, I'm, I'm backing as many of them as I can, but I want to leave rooms for some other stuff. It's really, really tough. 
I know um, all of y'all that are into this stuff know how I feel. But uh, just as we mentioned last week, the absolute best place to be following along with this is Pandatheist Bonebox Chant blog. So I've got a link up again for there. But let's just check in and see some of the stats that we've got right now. Uh, 164 zines are up right now, and an amazing 76% of those have already funded. Uh, let's see if they've got uh, almost $500,000 spent on zines. Uh, and, you know, so there's lots of statistics here. Uh, Pandatheist has, has um, done something I found really helpful and blocked off the newly released zines. Uh, for today, so it's not just a never-ending list, and you you know you may have looked at some and not the others. So it's just a really great resource, and thanks again to Pandatheist for doing that. Also, I have a link over to the Kickstarter page filtered towards the new releases, so hopefully those kind of float to the top for you. But there is a bunch of other stuff that I've spotted ZineQuest related that I'm just going to bounce through. Again, all these links are up for you all if you want to check it out. John Allen Large has the Red Dice Diaries blog and podcast has a cast up about Zine Quest 3 to check out over at the Axian Spice blog, axianspice.blogspot.com. Giuseppe Rotundo has a post about their top five Zine Quest 3 projects for now. You can check that out over at Polyhedral Nonsense. Uh, they've got a post up about the zines that they're backing for Zine Quest. You can check that out. Dicebreaker, dicebreaker.com. Uh, Alex Meehan over there has an article about the What We Do in the Shadows inspired Zine Quest project, Low Stakes. If you like that vampire comedy, that's one to take a look at. Pete Jones, friend of the podcast, does their own podcast, Dragons Are Real. And I noticed this Pete Jones is also doing something cool. They've got their podcasts up on YouTube which I really liked. I'll never be able to figure out how to do it, but uh, you know, I was able to add a little visual element to it. Maybe somebody could show me how to do that one day. I don't know. This takes too long. <laughs> this is such a chore. It's a, it's a labor of love, I should say, but um, I don't know if I'll ever be able to manage that, but I sure look, look, liked what Pete Jones was doing. It has a couple of posts up, uh, part two and part three of their series they've been doing doing on ZineQuest, so something to look at. Also at Polygon.com, they've got a big article about ZineQuest. ZineQuest brings tabletop role-playing back to its roots with tiny, affordable books, highlighting a bunch of stuff. Over at the Archon's Court blog, this is really cool, an interview with a uh, creator that's doing the zine Low Life, Sam Sorensen, and man, this this uh um this zine looks really good. Luther Gutenkunst over here doing the interview. It's all focused on um you know uh, underground adventures and stuff like a toolbox sort of zine. I've got it on my following, you know, I'm following it, hoping to make room for it because I know I'm going to regret it. It looks like a really really nice. Nicely put together, great looking layout, cool subject matter. Um, looks like a really good product from from Sam Sorensen. So if you want to see Luther, uh, read about Luther's interview with them about that project. That's at the Archon's Court blog. Over at the Gelatinous Cubism blog, 
They're blogging about awesome projects coming out of ZineQuest 3. This is Jacob Fleming's blog. Tim Shorts over at Gothridge Manor giving a sneak peek into their offering the mini crypts of Lady in Grey. Got that link up. And then finally, now this is really cool. Paul Vermeeren, someone I've been following around since the Google Plus days, has got a zine. It has not launched yet. I believe it launches on the 11th. And, you know, I talked about some of the patterns I'm seeing. You know, I'm seeing a lot of motherships, seeing a lot of uh, Mork Borg. And just seeing a whole lot of awesome you know there are some some trophy things and stuff like that stuff for uh uh blades in the dark and that kind of stuff and a lot of solo stuff and a lot of new games but of all the things i'm seeing i'm not seeing a lot of superhero stuff and so paul has got one coming out called grid shock 20xx post-apocalyptic superhero setting and this looks really good i've got the uh I've got a couple of spreads Paul sent me up so you can see the graphic design on this. It's really, uh, you know, eye-catching, really grabs you. And I love that it's something superhero-related. And so I asked Paul, I was like, what's the elevator pitch on it? So check this out. In 1945, superheroes saved the world. In 1986, it ended. In 20XX, supervillains rule what's left. Welcome to Gridshock 20XX. So... That's got to hook you in. You know what I'm saying? Um, a post-apocalyptic synthwave superhero setting. The focus is on the world, but the stats that are there use icons. So <clears throat> basically you can use it as a setting. It's what it's really designed for. But there are some stats mixed in there for icons. If you've never heard of icons, you know, there's the, the first wave of superhero RPGs with stuff like villains and vigilantes and champions and TSR Marvel superheroes and everything. But there's a bunch of re more recent um, superhero games that are quite good. Icons being one of them, supers being another, and Bash being a third. Uh, also, uh, Tiny D6 supers, I know, get some love too. But Icons has, is a really, really well-supported system. So um, while you can use this for anything, you know, it's mainly for the setting, um, it might be a good pathway into the Icons RPG if you're looking for a cool superhero game. So I was really happy to see this. And like I say, it launches on the 11th. Um, it's got some people following along with it, but uh, uh, it's just a really cool idea. And one of the few superhero things that I've seen so far on ZineQuest. So um, be sure and check that one out. And yeah, so let's look at what I've backed since we last talked. I gave you all a list of stuff I backed last time. Uh, we talked about the drain, had to back that one. Occult mothership deal, artwork looked great. Uh, Logan Dean's The Company Supplement had Logan on the show. Uh, Rebel Scum, I talked about that. Two Summers, Tim Short's uh, Many Crips of Lady in Grade. Burning of Carbacks, another mothership thing, and Through Alton's Door. So that's what I talked to you all about that I backed last week. Now, I, I mentioned that pistol-packing bondage nuns from Dimension Sex, kind of sat, satire deal. I had to back it. I had to, so I did. And then a uh, bunch of other stuff I couldn't help but back. Desert Moon of Karth, like a space western mothership thing. Uh, of course, Evelyn M's Where the Wheat Grows Tall. Paranormal Inc. This one looked really cool. It's a GM-less game. 
where you're paranormal investigators and also has some social commentary and stuff going on in it. Uh, one of those ones where it was something, you know, maybe not my typical thing, but I really like the subject matter and it seemed like the creator had some really good ideas. Uh, so let me open this up. That was so I can see uh, Alicia Furness, a GMless role-playing game about struggling paranormal investigators, paranormal Inc. So I really thought that that was something that really grabbed me. And so I, I jumped on that. Uh, yeah. Uh, of course, vampire cruise. This is from Amanda Lee Frank who did a, I got a job on a garbage barge barge last year. If you want to go over and look at this one, it was pointed out to me from by Ramanan that the the video for this one, I don't, you know, I, I haven't been watching very many videos on these Kickstarters. I almost never even really click them. I kind of already know if I want something, but I'm glad I watched this one. It's got a really funny kind of surf song that goes along with it. So Vampire Cruise um, is is another one I backed, and then the last one that I backed since we talked. Dying hard on hard light station, a mothership adventure. You're getting the you're getting the picture. See, once I get something and like it, like mothership, I I can't resist seeing all these zines. So, so I'm already kind of at my limit, but I'm still following some other stuff. Let's look at some of the stuff that I'm. Okay, yeah. So I mentioned that low life looks so good from that interview. I'm looking at that. Here's one that looks cool: the lighthouse at the edge of the universe, a solo journaling game. This is by someone named Ella Lim. And it looked uh, interesting, something different. So I'm looking at, for, looking at that one. There's one called Blackout in Crater Valley, a VHS-era slasher RPG. It's for DCC. Normally, it would be something I would have already backed, but because I'm having to be selective, uh, it's just kind of on the back burner. Dungeons on a Dime's Scurry is one that I probably will back. Uh, Dungeons on a Dime needs a lot more shine. Their stuff is amazing. So Scurry, I think I talked about that last week. And then the other one I've got on here right now, Against the Dark Conspiracy, a tabletop role-playing game in which competent characters confront a shadowy supernatural conspiracy. And yeah, so it's not showing everything that I'm following for, for whatever reason, a little bit frustrating. But anyway, those are some of the other ones I'm looking at. So, you know, all the advice I tried to give, all that about having a budget and sticking with it and, you know, not backing too much right up front and all that. It's thrown out the window once again. <laughs> so, But anyway, <clears throat> check all those links out. Keep supporting these creators. Enjoy it while it lasts. Random tables. Whole lot of show. Whole lot of show. Just now to the random tables. I imagine a lot of people break my shows up, <clears throat> especially when they get like this one. Break them up and join them through the week, you know. But let's talk about some random table stuff. Uh, this was just a cool post over at signsinthewilderness.blogspot.com. A 1700s post-apocalyptic, hopeful frontier fantasy setting for role-playing games. Signs in the Wilderness. They did a great just kind of essay about, uh, you know, the magic of random encounters, random tables. When you're playing in a sandbox, random encounters are just the GM's way of casting summon plot. I just rolled one up that's going to completely derail the adventure I'm running. I have no idea how the players are going to respond or what they're supposed to do to get past this obstacle. And that's the point. So... 
just a nice little ode to random tables over at Signs in the Wilderness. Then over at the Rand Roll blog, it's all about random tables. Great, great site, randroll.com. They put up some stuff ostensibly for 5e, but you can use it with anything. Mountain non-combat encounters, NPCs, and hazards. So non-combat encounters in the mountains. Let's roll on one of these. A D8 plus a D12. Not a combo you see every day. Where's my D8? There you are. Where's my D12? All right. Five. An outcast Swajan priestess that speaks common is the guardian of a waterfall, friendly with local druids, and seeks news of the wider world. An outcast pre priestess there. The Sawajan. Uh, mountain quick NPCs. Quick NPC. I might encounter in the mountains. D4 plus D6. I like that they're using weird dice combos. Uh, quick NPC. Leon is a stern mage with expressive eyes. They are building a tower atop a nearby cliff and have fallen in love with a local. Just people you meet in the mountains. I like these. Uh, last one, mountain hazards and obstacles. Back to the D8 and D12. Uh, 15, mountain hazards and obstacles. An area of slippery ice or an area of razor vine blocks the way. And it links, it tells you what page on the DMG can find that razor vine. So some cool mountain stuff over from Ranroll. I really enjoy this blog. Uh, like I say, it's all focused on... Uh, random stuff. It's Duncan Thompson's blog. Yep. Hump day blogorama. Okay, so let's get into the blog stuff. The beating heart of the DIY scene. Still got to be the blogs. <clears throat> so I'm starting over at reviews from Royer, Pookie UK's blog, royerreviews.blogspot.com. Uh, just Endless reviews over here. And also, uh, I think I mentioned Pookie's got a YouTube channel too. Um, they're reviewing the updated version of Mansions of Madness from Call of Cthulhu. And I, I think there's been like three versions of this maybe. Uh, but the reason I wanted to mention this one is it's probably my favorite, at least the, you know, the prior, to, I don't have this one yet. Uh, but the last one, I guess, second edition, is probably my favorite Cthulhu um, adventure supplement, or certainly up there with them. And, you know, I've mentioned before, I think it's Call of Cthulhu is much more suited towards episodic play, even if you're playing with the same group of characters and everything, rather than tackling some of these larger campaigns. Now, the campaigns are great reading, and they're amazing and everything, but but what happens is the death count piles up, so you're constantly adding more characters to it. They become more and more kind of detached from the plot. I mean, skilled keepers can work with that, but that happens. And then more than that, the clues just pile up to where it's it's uh, it's just a lot. And so I like going kind of story to story. It, it works a little bit better for me. Mansions of Madness has one of my favorite all-time Call of Cthulhu adventures in it the crooked and cracked manse and that's still in it it mentions so uh that's just a fun haunted house one shot you can run in a night the other reason i wanted to mention the call of cthulhu is 
I was holding out on 7e. Y'all may have heard me talk about it before. I just love classic. I didn't think it necessarily needed an update. I liked that it was easy to convert new stuff to it. So it wasn't like I was, uh, an, you know, big anti 7e or anything like that. But um, I finally got it for myself. And it turns out I really, really like a lot of what they did, particularly with the combat. Most of the changes are just, you know, you can eyeball it to, 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 um, to convert old stuff too, which I really like. But uh, they added some stuff with the combat that I think makes it more dynamic and more fun. So anyway, check that out, Mansions of Madness. What else I've got? Oh, okay, this is over the Grumpy Wizard blog, grumpywizard.home.blog. This is, uh, who is this blog? Travis Miller over there. Uh, Dave played Blackmore. Gary played Greyhawk. Neither played Dungeons and Dragons. Just a little, um, a little article about how even though there was the game D and D, both uh, Gary and Dave played their own kind of games with it. You know, neither of them probably ever played D and D exactly as written. Certainly, Dave Arneson never did. Uh, but I thought that was just a great quote. They were talking with, uh, or they were saying. Uh, they're watching a recent interview on, on the wandering DMS podcast, um, which, uh, comes up again here in a minute. They were talking to the one about to one of the filmmakers who made secrets of Blackmore about kind of the history of D and D on the Arneson side. And there was a, just that great quote played Greyhawk with Gary Blackmore, with Dave and Tecumel with Phil, but I didn't play D and D with any of them. So I just thought that was a kind of a cool thought ties into a lot of the house rules and rule zero we've been talking about lately perplexing ruins over perplexingruins.blogspot.com has a review of this game disciples of bone and shadow uh, and this is a solo role-playing game that uh, has a lot of cool elements for a solo game like hex crawls and stuff like that nice detailed review and since solo gaming had come up a few times recently, I thought I'd put that up. So that's over at Perplexing Ruins. And then uh, I got my copy of Knock. If you don't know what Knock is, it's this great compilation of like blog posts and stuff, but they've been really elevated to high art with a, an amazing layout and presentation, full color artwork and everything, really glossy pages. It's, it's one of the nicer RPG books that I own. And to think that it's only maybe, you know, number one of a series uh, from the Merry Mushmen. And I uh, got my copy in over the weekend and have been starting to peruse through it. And I really, really, really like it. So I want to push it on y'all, right? So uh, over at the Seed of World blogs, Zao Seed does a great job. Seed of Worlds, add it to your blog roll. Uh, it has a review of it along with uh, another review over at the iCast Light blog, iCastLight.blogspot.com. Warren D over there talking about it. And then there was a, another post over at Dragons.ie from the creators talking about, you know, how it came together. So, so knock, definitely something you want to grab if you're into the blog scene. I thought this was really interesting at GeekDad.com. Let me see if I can get a name. This is Jonathan Jonathan Liu's blog. And what was cool about this, you know, it's called Hosting Virtual Game Nights While Quarantined. And it's like, oh, yeah, Froth, I mean, I know, you know, uh, Fantasy Grounds, Roll20. Well, no, this is talking about board games and some ideas on how you can run board games. And there are all these things like Roll20 for board games I never heard of. Tabletop Simulator, Tabletopia, 
board game arena and other stuff too. So if you're into board games and looking for a way to, to do those virtually, uh, you know, not just for the pandemic, but just for virtual gaming, great article from Jonathan over there at geekdad.com. So check that out. And then uh, Twilight 2000, I mentioned a couple weeks ago how that ended up being the number one most anticipated game on N-World's 2021 list. Uh, a couple things came out for that, some some news and interviews and stuff with the creators over at the Savant's Rants, the rantingsavant.blogspot.com, and then a long review from Patrick Canoose over at Blackgate Adventures in Fantasy Literature, a really nice site if you've never checked out Blackgate. A lot of good stuff over there, blackgate.com. And so they go into detail on that. Finally, on the blogs, this is actually a video, but it's about a blogger, Hall, uh, Hump Day Bloggerama Hall of Famer, John, John Peterson, who did the, does the Playing at the World blog, has a uh, interview on their new book, The Elusive Shift, with another couple of great bloggers, The Wandering DMs, Dan Delta Collins, who does Delta's D&D Hotspot, um, along with uh, with Paul from Paul's uh, Paul's Game Blog. So a couple of longtime um, you know bloggers that do this YouTube channel now, which is really good. Wandering DMs uh, it has an interview with John Peterson about that new book. So so anyway, a lot of good stuff this week. Be sure and check it out. Free stuff. Oh, I don't like having to record this way. I think what's happening, I don't think it's my headset. I think it's the anchor site gets a little bit buggy recording directly into that. And I can no longer record directly my phone because the sound is not as good as my old phone. So there's no really good solution, at least not for me to do on the fly right this second so anyway let's talk about some free stuff now i mentioned some of hodag rpg stuff uh free downloads pamphlet stuff solo game deals a couple of weeks ago they're just unbelievable and they keep putting new stuff out they've got a new one called now this is hover racing so a kind of star wars inspired young Anakin sort of deal. And uh, Hodag is now on Twitter, Hodag RPG on Twitter. Someone to definitely follow. And uh, we, 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 uh, we don't know each other that well, but we cross paths a little bit. And so I think at some point I'll be having Hodag on the show and we can find out what's Hodag's deal. I know nothing about this person other than their artwork and creativity is, is outrageous. So, Download this for free. Now this is hover racing. Hodag is going to have to start charging for this stuff soon. So enjoy it while it lasts. Uh, we talked about Call of Cthulhu a little bit ago. This is something that's really cool. I didn't realize that both the quick start rules for 7e as well as the adventure, the lightless beacon are up for free download on roll 20. So if you game on the roll 20 site, and like Call of Cthulhu, you can add these from the marketplace for free. That Quick Start Rules has a classic adventure in it, uh, The Haunting. And so you get two adventures for free 
and, and the rules kind of built in and the quick start rules are, are, you know, not like some quick starts. They're, they're very robust. You can absolutely game with them. So, so some free offerings there from Chaosium for Call of Cthulhu on roll 20. Very, very cool. Make sure I'm going in order here because I'm all out of whack due to the discord. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if I mentioned it yet, but I picked up Cortex Prime. Uh, I know I had to have mentioned it uh, and really liking it. And I noticed this over at Bell of Lost Souls, bellvelostsouls.net. J.R. Zambrano posting about how there's a, a play test for the Dragon Prince RPG using Cortex Prime. The reason this really caught my eye is because my daughter watches this Dragon Prince show. She loves it. It's on Netflix. And so they are, you, you know, licensing that for a, a, a Cortex game. Uh, and I signed up for it and just put my email in and almost automatically I got the playtest pack and everything. So we're going to take a look at it. So if there's any Dragon Prince fans out there, Cortex fans out there, you can play test that and it's uh it's a, there's an adventure pdf as well as like a kind of core rules pdf so check that out i really like this uh, another hamsterish horde hamsterhorde.home.blog uh blog two wii adventure pocket mods so you download a couple of free pocket mods print them and fold them i love pocket mods oh pocket mods are one of just the great things in life <laughs> you know so check that out at the ham, another hamsterish horde blog over at the liches Librum. I saw them talking about this free zine. I could have put this stuff under the zines, but it's free downloads. So I put it under the free stuff. Never ending Drakenschwanz. Drakenschwanz. I don't know what the heck they're talking about. So this is issue two of a zine. You can get number one and number two for free following the links in here a free craigspiel revolution zine so i had to see what the heck free craigspiel is and that's these uh wargaming uh, apparently craigspiel uh, i know i'm pronouncing it wrong god you you think my french is bad now you're hearing my german <laughs> but a uh, war games uh it translates to craigspiel in German apparently and so these are kind of like free war game rules or just like open rules and they're referred to as the land shut rules over here uh, at Norbert Matosh's itch page I know I'm not doing a good job of explaining this but guess what the discord it's not getting re-recorded. Hopefully I'm making sense. Anyway, you want to talk rules light, check out the land shut rules. These things are lighter than light, but the whole idea is they leave just a lot of room open to, you know, the GM creatively world building and everything and a lot of room to fill in the spaces. If you do have to roll dice, it's almost like, you know, roll against the GM, uh, you know, roll 2d6 versus 2d6 for games. You want something more predictable outcomes. Roll a d20 versus a d20 for swingy cinematic games. So anyway, really open rules. 
that are free to download and a couple of zines. And I look through the zines and there's just a lot of really good ideas in them. A lot of people are getting into this. And so this was something that's just been flying, bubbling under my radar that I've not been aware of at all. The free Craigspiel revolution kind of, uh, you know, beyond old school, almost, you know, the, you want to talk rules light, you know, it's, it's almost like, what are rules, you know? <laughs> so, I'm not, I know I'm not doing a good job of, of, of describing them. This has been a, a long journey, this podcast today, but the stuff is very cool and it's different and it's something I hadn't heard of. So be sure and go and check it out. The final topic. All right. So for the final topic today, I'm just taking a look at this post over at d100news.com where they are kind of going through the most successful Kickstarters of 2020 um, and look, you know, for tabletop RPG stuff. So I thought it was kind of interesting because a lot of the stuff that did the best was stuff I never would have imagined would, would have been as successful, you know, not to hate on it in the slightest, but it just kind of just blew my mind. And uh, so if you want the, you know, too long, didn't read of it, 5e crushed it, completely dominated everything else you know, and just left, uh, left the rest of the ind industry just like, you know, shredded in its wake. Uh, five, seven out of the top 10 projects. Um, and now it's not going into card decks and paraphernalia and everything, but seven out of the 10 top projects were all 5e related. Amazingly, a lot of this stuff is like, you know, third party stuff like Grim Hollow, you know, the Grim Hollow setting. Made almost a million dollars, over 9,000 backers. Hello. Uh, how about this one? More magic items for 5e. So just a just a magic item supplement. $663,000. Is that incredible to anybody else or is it just me? Because to me, the numbers just blew me away. That magic item supplement, more magic items for 5e. You know, not Nothing against the creator, not the greatest, you know, not the most wow title I've ever heard. More magic items for 5e made, you know, $10,000 more than Twilight 2000. Uh, the top thing on here that was not 5e was from Evil Hat Games, Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Now that is a catchy title. Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Over 8,000 backers, about 300 grand raised. Um, yeah. And so then I saw some, like, I saw the Stargate role-playing game on there. I was like, huh, what's that? Oh, it's 5e. <laughs> so, uh, it also makes note about how there's like nothing, no Pathfinder project launched in 2020 had more than 2000 backers with a notable exception of the video game Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. So they had, a, you know, an actual video game do really well, raised over 2 million. But as far as the tabletop stuff, you know, during the 4 year, era, Pathfinder was, you know, in the ring with D&D. And, and now it's like Mickey's saying, you know, you know, you know now Pathfinder's saying, cut me, Mickey. Which is just shame because I really think second edition Pathfinder is, is really good. I really do. I bought several books for it and I still haven't even gotten to really run it yet. But um, they're just in a tough spot because their whole business was made on keeping third edition alive. That's how they got all their 
people because people didn't want to go to 4e people wanted to continue with third edition and then they had a great subscription service and obviously you know a constant stream of of product built up a really really loyal fan base um but you know you can't you can't as dnd any game really teaches you that eventually you're going to have to make another edition and despite um you know play testing and involving a lot of people in the play test and trying to kind of capture you know that that kind of development like that 5e did so successfully um it's just it just hasn't caught on because their whole model really was keeping three alive and never changing you know so uh, it's rough because I, I really like second edition a lot it just it seems like that's uh you know that's as far as competing with D&D these days, just forget about it. Um, it talks about some indie games that did well. I already mentioned that Thirsty Sword, Lesbians, Urban Shadows, 2nd Edition, Wander Home, kind of an apocalypse world, uh, vaguely apocalypse world game. Uh, Brinkwood, a Forged in the Dark game, uh, inspired by uh, Castlevania Vampire Hunting. And Trophy. Uh, Trophy was one that I backed. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I, I, I'm, I'm not reading any of the PDFs or anything they've sent me, though. I want to see what the books are all about. Um, and then it talks a little bit about the OSR stuff. Obviously, Mork Borg had six Kickstarter projects in 2020, five of which were for third-party publications. And they all did really well. So again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I'm glad I don't own Mork Borg, at least not right now, because because I would just uh, it'd be second mortgage time. The stuff looks really good though. They talk about an interesting trend of different supplements coming with vinyl LPs. Putrescent Regnant for Mork Borg, an adventure model. With an LP, like a doom metal, death metal LP that comes with it. Also, Ancient Undead Spider Wizard had an LP for it, for the Black Hat. And then other games offering like an EP, extended play, along with it. So a trend of music and RPG combos. Something I would never have expected, but that's actually seems pretty cool. Uh, the OSR games that did the best was like the old school essentials, advanced fantasy. Uh, no, no wonder that that did well. It looks really good. Um, I'm hoping the books fit in the old box though, and it still closes. It's going to be tight. They refer to Torchbearer Second Edition as an OSR game, which I thought that was like a burning wheel deal. Never played it. Maybe they just mean, and it's kind of. Uh, um, graphic design and art and subject matter or something. I'm not sure. Um, what else was there that? Yeah. Okay. This was the, the last thing I wanted to mention about it. You know, th they were just talking about like actual books and everything, but then they mentioned as an aside that this other 5e third party setting, Humblewood put out, their second deck of animated spells project. So just a card deck, all right? I don't know. To me, this is wild. Maybe not to y'all. It just shows how, like, I didn't have real... 
the hobby is so huge. You know, there's so so many people gaming, and there's so much money in it right now that it, the, my perspective is completely off. Because look, it's just a card deck. It's the second card deck, the second deck of animated spells. Something that you know, whatever card deck for five E third party setting. One point three million. <laughs> Like, you know, the moral of the story is if you're wanting to make money at this hobby right now, put together a really nice third-party 5E, you know, 5E supplement. Uh, but 10,000 backers and 1.3 million for the third-party 5E setting Humblewood card deck. It's just wild to me. But, you know, I was again hit with my um, my lack of perspective when I was on YouTube the other day because I – don't spend a lot of time on YouTube primarily because the TV in the main room I like to hang out with, you know, hang out in. I've got an old plasma TV. It's the best picture ever. They don't make them anymore. It's like whatever, 11 years old. <clears throat> I'll never get rid of it until it dies. But it's not like a smart TV. It's not hooked up to the internet or anything like that. I have to use a Roku stick, you know, to watch anything on it. So the YouTube on that is really slow, fast forwarding and everything is even bad. I mean, it's real, you know, it's just, it does, it's not the Roku YouTube interface on that TV. It's not even worth messing with. I get more frustrated trying to rewind something or skip something to the point where I don't want to look at it anymore. But during Amazon Prime Day last year, I managed to get a great deal on an upstairs TV. Uh, an Amazon Fire TV. And I can tell you that thing is a bad boy. I would highly recommend it to anybody. That thing is awesome. And YouTube on that is really fast. So I can actually watch it without tearing my hair out. So anyway, over the years, I've, you know, just habitually clicked subscribe to different gaming channels. If I looked at something, you know, not really thinking about the, the, the list I was amassing. I got on there. I don't know, it's dozens and dozens and dozens of channels, but the amount of content for RPG stuff right now, it's unbelievable. Hundreds, got to be a hundred, hundreds of things a week of every sort, streaming games, interviews, how-tos, TV, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I was just like, I cannot believe how big this stuff is right now. And so, anyway, when I saw the 1.3 million for the card deck, it was the same thing. It's like my, you know, sometimes you're just kind of insulated in your group, and you're kind of, or you're even you're just kind of circle of people you follow and everything. When you start to look at some of these numbers and see the the and, and see it, it's uh, it uh, just uh, reinforces how you know how popular stuff is right now. Got to be the most popular everything has ever been you know, by a mile. But anyway, if you want to check that out, I've got the link up. It's really interesting. It's got lists. It breaks it down into amount raised and the uh, number of people that backed it. And it's got a bunch of links to a bunch of stuff. So go over and check it out. Outro. Oh, this might be a record. This might be the longest one ever. I really appreciate <laughs> anybody still there. Hello, I see like somebody sweeping up. Uh, but seriously, I 
thanks for bearing with me. I felt really flustered with this one because of the, the mic issues, but I'm just going to have to, you know, adapt and adjust. That's what good podcasters do, right? But uh, still had fun putting it together for you. Uh, thrilled to have DM Wilson and Sarah Brunt on. Check out their planar compass game. Check. I mean, gosh, like I say, everything I, I mentioned is over at the Thought Eater blog. Check out that Evelyn M stuff. Check out the free stuff. Huge shout out to folks for calling in and joining the discussion. Joe, uh, who all do we have calling in? Rob, Jason, Jim, Angus. I think that's everybody. Not bad for the old froth brain. Uh, if you want to leave a message, anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. Support the program. Only a dollar a month. Patreon.com forward slash thought eater. I've got an idea for five minute Friday, but remember if you want to back at the $5 level, $5 a month, you can make suggestions on what you want to hear on five minute Fridays. So might take advantage of it. I'll also promote your products on the show. Um, trying to think on others. Oh, under the outro tab again, I've got some funny memes. I've been finding all these funny gaming memes and sharing them under the outro tab. So be sure and take a look at those. There's a couple of really hilarious ones this week. What else? Uh, something I've been working on. I mentioned this on Twitter, but I've got this idea for a little game that I want to put together as a pamphlet game. I don't want to talk too much about it, but it's using nothing but D12s. So I know Rob Seal liked that idea. But it's it's a, an opposed D12 roll core system. It'll be called 12v12. Mostly because I want people to call it 12v12. Uh, just because that appeals to me for some unknown reason. But I know that it's pretty good because I can't stop thinking about it. And I think about it when I'm going to bed. I think about it when I wake up. I'm kind of thinking about the clearest way to explain the rules in my mind. And so I'm going to start working on that at some point. So uh, I don't even know why I bothered to announce it. I have nothing to give you right now, but I'm kind of excited about it. And it's not falling apart, you know, like a de you know, like a like a Jenga tower in my mind as I go over it and play with it. So. Uh, I think that's that that might be something you might see for me down the line. Anyway, I think that's all I got. Pretty tired. So, Logan, you know what to do. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater gonna blow your mind. Boom, 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 boom.